everybody. Kevin Wagstaff here with another episode of Spector Spotlight. Um, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Joe Ferry today, a well-known uh, home inspector lawyer. So Joe, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. And you are in from Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia. How, how was the weather? How was the flight? Flight was uneventful, which is how I prefer it. Is it getting nice in Philly this time of year? It is. Uh, been, we've had a We've had five or six days of really spectacular weather before I left. Beautiful. You know you can still get snow here this time of year, right? I you know, do. You know, you know you could get dumped on while you're here for the conference. I know there's always a Halloween snow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so you're in town for, what are you in town for? I'm in town for a board meeting with uh, InterNACHI mm -hmm. and, uh, and for the conference next week. That's right. Yep. So we'll both have booths up there. So we'll see you and your team up there at the conference. Um, but yeah, let's give people just a quick intro to you, um, who you are, and your background and experience. Well, my background is I'm a born and raised Philadelphian. You can probably tell that by my accent. Yeah. Uh, I grew up uh, as youngest of seven boys. Uh, my parents were Irish immigrants. Uh, went through the parochial school system. Uh, graduated. Um, and went to the University of Notre Dame for oh, wow. college. And then I, when I got out of the college, there was uh, a war going on and um, got drafted along with uh, another half a million of my fellow Americans mm -hmm. and uh, ended up going to OCS, uh, got commissioned in field artillery. And I was sent to uh, Korea where I was a company commander and uh, finished out my military career as a general's aide uh, for Campbell, Kentucky. And then I went into uh, the insurance business. I worked for a couple of years as an underwriter for the Travelers Insurance Company. And after two years, it became clear that the money to be made in insurance is in selling the product, <laughs> not in underwriting. Right. So I was able to secure a contract from travelers as an agent and built an agency over the next uh, several years. Uh, then I, one day I was, had a conference with a banker and he was late for this conference and he came in and he was all apologetic. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm late, but I had to drop off uh, some material at law school. And I said, law school? How are you in law school with this responsible job? And he said, well, Temple University has an evening division. Uh -huh. and so um, I go at night. Instead of three years, it's four years. Mm -hmm. So I hightailed it up to Temple, and got an application, and applied, and got in. and. Um, Continued with my agency while I was going at night. Wow. And, then, and then after a year, I liked it so much, I sold the agency and transferred to day school. Mm -hmm. And I've been practicing uh, attorney in Philadelphia for the last uh, 33 years. Wow. In about 1998, I, uh, I had a client come in, brand new client. And he was Nick Gromico. I've heard of him. And, yeah, uh, heard of the guy. And it turned out that he was being sued by a rival, or his 
his uh, organization, his uh, association was being sued by a rival association and uh, he needed representation. Mm -hmm. And so I was a lucky person who uh, got that representation and we went over and, and the case was over pretty quickly. Um, and after that, I became uh, successfully, uh, in fact, we were the defendants and the plaintiff ended up paying us instead of the other way around. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so after that, I became involved with the association. And uh, in uh, 2006, I got a call from a home inspector in Florida uh, who wanted to know whether I could uh, help him out with the with a claim that was being made against them. Mm -hmm. And I, he said, is this something you can help me with or do I need to hire an attorney in Florida? And I said, well, um, I said to myself, I said, boy, I don't envy this fellow having to go into a random law office and trying to explain to uh, an attorney what a home inspection entails, uh, but more specifically what it doesn't entail. Uh, because most most attorneys have no idea uh, what a home inspection is or what it encompasses. Uh, and so I, I, I said to him, why don't you, um, I'll tell you what, why don't you send me the letter that you got, send me your inspection report, send me your inspection agreement, and I'll review that and I'll be in a better position to, um, to advise you. So he, uh, sent it overnight it happened to be the day i talked to him happened to be the day before thanksgiving uh so i got it on uh, black friday and i reviewed it and i was reading the letter and it was a pretty substantial letter it wasn't one of these hey you owe us money letters um and i uh i put aside i wrote down all the things that they were complaining of and set that aside and then looked at the report and to my astonishment, uh, all the things they were complaining about, this inspector had actually found. He had found them <laughs> and reported them. And so I called them back and I said, hey, uh, everything they're complaining about, you found. He said, I know. I said, well, look, let me do this for you. Uh, let, me, let me write a response to this uh, demand and I'll send that response to you. And if you like it, we'll, I'll send it out and I'll charge you accordingly. Uh, if you don't like it, um, you can go hire somebody local and I won't charge you. Well, he thought that was a great idea. And so I wrote the letter and he loved the letter and it went out and we never heard from that person again. <laughs> and then what started to happen was, I guess word got out and I started to get uh, more more inspectors were calling me right. uh, for for these types of issues, and after about sixteen of them that had all gone away, you know, with with just the responsive letter, uh, I started thinking, you know, I'm I'm seeing these goofy claims. I'm not seeing legitimate claims. I'm I'm only seeing the, I'm seeing a skewed sample. Right. Uh, and but then it got to be 30, 40, and fifty. Uh, in a row that went away and I changed my mind and then decided that no, I wasn't seeing a skewed sample. This is the sample. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is all what they are. Yeah. They're all like this. You know, so um, 
I, shortly thereafter, I put together a uh, seminar uh, whereby I would, you know, go out and um, inspectors. I went, I went all over the country. I was in probably 30 states uh, doing these things. Um, and uh, inspectors were coming, coming to me. And I remember once in Boston, at the end of the seminar, uh, inspector came up and said, hey, um, is, is this, can we, can we subscribe to your services on a, on like a, uh, you know, monthly basis kind of thing? And I said, no. Uh, and I was, I was very worried about it. You know, I was worried about, well, I was worried about overutilization. Yeah. That's basically what I was worried about. Um, but then after I'd done quite a number of them, I, uh, I felt I had a real good handle on it. You know, because they all seem to fall into certain categories. Uh, and so I went back to the uh, 50 or 60 um, inspectors for whom I had, done a, I had done a response and told them I was thinking of doing a service, you know, a monthly service or an annual service. And I was going to charge $600 a year. But if you if you guys sign up as charter members, I'll give you the first two years for six hundred bucks. So immediately, twenty five people signed oh. up. You know, and uh, so that told me a couple of things. It told me that one, I was pricing it properly, and two, that this was something that the industry was looking for. Um, and then you know, the rest the rest is history. history. Yeah. Wow. Um, first of all, thank you for your service. Um, I grew up in a military oh, family. Right. You want to thank me for my service, be, be the kind of person worth fighting for. Yep, yep, there you go, exactly. Um, so after, I want to backtrack a little bit. So after you represented um, or worked with Nick, some years went by, right? So you hadn't, you didn't go right into home inspections after working with Nick, it was kind of like- Well, I, I continued working with him. Oh, gotcha. On various things. Then the inspector- And, and then the inspector started calling. Gotcha. Um, and I guess you did a great job on the first one since word of mouth just kind of happened on its own. Well, right? I'm adding 970. <laughs> That's a great, That's pretty it's good. unheard of, right? It's a Hall of Fame numbers. Yep, yep. You set yourself up to succeed in this industry. And I well, again, I'll tell you the reason why that's not running hot. It's not because I'm so good, although mm -hmm. I do write a, a, a pretty compelling letter. Right. Uh, it's because the home, the, the claims are all bogus. They fall. These claims fall into five general categories, six real, mm -hmm. six general categories. One, it's something that can't possibly be determined by looking at a house. Right. Whether permits have been pulled, mm -hmm. uh, whether there are uh, easements, uh, things of that nature, or it's something that is outside the SOP, right. underground piping, uh, mold, uh, wood destroying uh, insects. Yeah hazardous uh, chemicals, this kind of thing. That's outside the SOP. Or it's something that was concealed at the time of the inspection, right? um, by furniture, by drywall, by drop ceilings, by insulation, right? uh, by inability to get places and accessibility. Or it's something that was uh, Disclaimed, right? Yeah, you, know, you couldn't get into the attic because it was locked or something like that. 
uh, or the crawl space was inaccessible or was, or was too narrow, or you couldn't find it. Right. Uh, there's a number of cases where um, the crawl space is like in a closet, the access to the crawl space is in a closet behind uh, all the flotsam and jetsam that people accumulate over a lifetime of living. Right. Um, or it's something that was um, found. Imagine that. Right. In the report. Yeah, it's it, actually in a report. It was working and it was, it was, it was a defect that, that was found. Uh, and that uh, the final one is it's something that was working at the time of the inspection, but now several months or even years later, uh, it stops working, and people are like, "Well, you didn't, why did this stop working?" Yeah, you didn't tell the feature. You didn't right. tell me the feature in your report. You didn't have your crystal ball with you. Um, great. So that's good to know. So the way in which so inspectors need to document, obviously, this goes without saying. It, the way they can't ex ex get to something, which something's inaccessible. Oh yeah, if you can't get to someplace. You have to. You have to extra uh, pictures of it, if nothing else, yeah. right? <clears throat> well, I recommend taking a lot of pictures. Um, you know, it's, a lot of times cases come up where there's no picture. There's no picture of the defect, mm -hmm. but there's pictures of thirty other defects. You know. And you're like, well, the reason we didn't take a picture of that because it wasn't defective at right. that time. Right. We don't take the pictures of things that aren't defective. Uh, I also encourage them to take uh, pictures of uh, clutter, yeah. you know, where you can't get it. There are places where you can't get to the um, electrical panel because you have boxes Stack piled in front of you. And we're not moving boxes, you know? Um, there's uh, innumerable cases uh, of that. Just off the top of my head, I thought I'm thinking of a question here is, does the number of defects that are called out, so there's inspectors that are more aggressive on calling out more things in general, and then there's some that um, I think only call out the major things. Does one or the other impact how a judge or how whoever's evaluating it would look at it if something was not called out, like 30 defects versus five, or is it irrelevant because it's just about that one thing? That it's, it's kind of irrelevant uh, how many how many defects there are. Mm -hmm. It's it's only relevant in the in the extent where you you see you, a, you see a report where uh, the house is it's old, so it has a lot of it has a lot of problems, and then. Um, Months, months after the inspection, some new problem arises, and there's no, there's no report of that, and there's no report of that because it wasn't a problem at the time of the inspection. Right. Uh, and so it's helpful, it's helpful to have these other defects that have been that have been pointed out, because the argument there is, well, look, we pointed out all this other stuff. Right. Uh, we certainly wouldn't have missed this. Right. You know, if it was as glaring uh, as you're now contending that it that it is. Right. Uh, I know, recently, we've had a East Coast, and I know I hate I hate to say this to someone in Colorado, but we've had a torrent of rain uh, in the last year, mm -hmm. and uh, I have had uh, a number of calls or claims arise uh, for leaks. 
like uh, inspection when I said we saw one. Inspection was done in October, and in February, uh, there's a there's a leak. Guy moves in December, and uh, let's say there's a leak in February. But then you then you check the weather for that area, and it had like 15 inches of rain between the time of the inspection and uh, smart and the yeah. time that the leak occurred. Right, and there's never a peep from this person. So you know, all the all the roof did was repel 15 inches of rain for three for four months, and now doesn't set up well for that guy. No, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's ludicrous. Like, would people expect a home inspection to determine? It is really astonishing. I think um, because because I think most people don't even have an, any clue right. what what to expect from a home inspector from a home inspection and. And largely, to the extent that they do have a clue, uh, it's usually a completely ridiculous one. You know, they think you're going to find everything that ever was wrong with this house, uh, and anything, everything that's ever going to be wrong with it. Right? And it's ludicrous to even imagine that. But you know, we grew up. We grew up in an era, in, in the era now, where trades are looked down on. You know, you got to have a college degree. So no one knows how to fix a toilet. You know, no one knows how to. Uh, you know, change the furnace filter. Yeah, millennial is no, yeah. Right. I, we, I can call out millennials because I'm on the high yeah. end of millennials. So I, I don't it's not, it's it. not just millennials, I mean, just it's people. Been, this has been a, we have a couple generations yeah. of this now. So, you know, they, they think that something goes wrong and it shouldn't have gone wrong. You know, and anyone who has a kid knows that a toilet could be working at 10 o'clock and not working at 10 15. Right. You know? Yeah. And what's, how do we combat that? Is it just purely, the inspectors or the agents trying to educate home buyers better before the inspection, or do you think it's just well, you're never going to get um, a real estate agent to educate a home buyer because right. uh, they're all about the sales. Um, the way to combat it is well, here's a way. Here's a way to combat it. Uh, I get calls from um, from clients who, you know, they they want to know whether they should go out and look at the problem. Mm -hmm. And I always say, yeah, absolutely. Well, look at it because you will probably be able to defuse it and talk this client of yours off the ledge. Because what here's here's what here is how a claim arises. This is the prototypical example of how a claim arises. Uh, you do an inspection for somebody in August, mm -hmm. and you're uh, checking the uh, the heat pump. But it's August. It's 70, 90 degrees outside, and you can't check. You can't you can check it for its cooling uh, feature, but you can't check it for its heating feature. So, in your report, you say, "Well, you know, we we tested the uh, the heat pump, and it has uh, it, it's it's giving off uh, cool mm -hmm. cool air, and." Uh, but you got to understand something about heat pumps. They're very temperamental. They need a lot of service. And you need what you need to do. We weren't able to test it for its heating feature. Mm -hmm. uh, and what you need to do is inquire of the seller whether he's ever had any problems with it and when he's had it most recently serviced. And it would also be a good idea to have it serviced before closing. That way you'll know whether there's any problems. So then, this is an actual case that I had. Uh, then, in guy moves in in October, two months after the inspection, and two months after that, in December, 
This is up in Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, never mind why you put a heat pump <laughs> right. in a house in right. Boston. Right. Uh, the, the entire East Coast gets hit with an epic snowstorm, mm -hmm. 35 inches from you know, New Orleans to uh, Nova Scotia. <clears throat> and that happens to be the day that this guy's heat pump decides to quit. And he has a newborn, it's a six month old uh, child in the house, and he's uh, got to leave, you know, there's no heat. So this happened to be a Friday when the snowstorm hit, and he goes to his uh, in-laws over the weekend, and by Monday, the municipality had the streets cleared, and he's able to deal with this heat pump problem. So he calls the HVAC guy up and says, hey, I need you to come out and take a look at uh, this thing. Now, the HVAC guy comes out, dismantles the device, mm -hmm. which we're not allowed to do, right? and pronounces it dead, and says, you need to do, you need a heat pump, it's gonna be $3,500. Um, how long have you lived in the property? And the guy says, well, I moved in in October. And he goes, October? Golly, did you have a home inspection? <laughs> and, and mind you, at this point, at this point in time, this client of the home inspectors has never entered his mind that the home inspector has anything whatsoever to do with this heat pump guy. Right. But now, it's in his head, that this guy has planted that in his head, he can't get it out of his head. And the, the, the analogy that I use is, yeah, did you ever wake up in the morning and the, the first song you hear is American Pie? <laughs> and you got that rolling around here? Yeah. You're driving your Chevy to the levee the rest of the day. Yeah, you can't not think about it. I actually, I actually have uh, Ode to Billy Joe rolling <laughs> in my head right now. Nice. Uh, but uh, so, you know, the, the home is, the, the, the the homeowner, he's thrilled with this news because now, you know, instead of it costing him $3,500, it's going to cost the inspector $3,500. So, you know, that's the call I get. And right. I, have to, I have to disabuse this guy of his notion that, he's, that we have anything to do with it. Right. And that is 100% of all claims are initiated by something going wrong and some third party generally a uh, contractor, roofer, electrician, telling the guy, he needs a whole new whatever. You need a whole new roof. <sighs> you got a roof, you need a whole new roof. You've got, uh, what's the, you've got pets. You know, you need a whole new plumbing system. Right. You know, you've got uh, whatever, a whole new electrical system. You've got, you've got knob and tube. So you need a whole new electrical system. You know. So it's a lack of education in the contractor trades as a whole on what home inspectors actually do, right? Well, it's that. It's also, you know, they're, they want to make it easy for this guy to hire them, you know, right. they want to, and pay for it. Right. You know, it's the easiest thing in the world. To, to say someone else will pay for it. To say someone else will pay for it. Right. I get paid either way as HVAC. And the thing of it, the thing of it is, is that um, these claims are never, you know, you see these, uh, you know, home inspectors, you, you know, some some jurisdictions that require home inspectors to have E&O insurance. They have, uh, you know, 100, 200, 300, 5 million dollar requirements and all. Mm -hmm. And these claims are never anywhere near that. These claims, uh, I, 
you know, you get the you get these letters from lawyers and they're like, oh, we get two hundred fifty thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, where are you getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars from? He's not getting a new roof, right? You know? He's getting or a furnace or something or whatever. He's he's not getting a new roof. He's getting the uh, uh, leak fixed, right? That's it. It's getting patched. That's what you're entitled to, right? You're under the law of damages, so. Um, you know, I was talking in a seminar about how, you know, you go to a, you go to a store nowadays, and uh, you know the cost. You know, you know your, your bill comes to uh, seventeen dollars and ten cents. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you give the uh, you give the clerk twenty dollars and ten cents. Right. He's like doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Can't figure it out. Yeah. I, uh, I actually have uh, a sort of, uh, supermarket where I live that has tremendous fruit. I always go over there and buy four pounds of fruit for $16.99. Mm-hmm. And I always give them a $20 bill, but a $2 bill. And they go, oh, no, it's only $20. <laughs> it's only $17. Why are you giving me $22? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I want a five dollar bill back. I don't want three ski Next level. Next level stuff. Right. Uh, so, are, are inspector fears that you find in general somewhat overblown in terms of the dollar amount liability? Oh, just, yeah. yeah. You just oh. mentioned it's not 250K that you're going to be on the hook for. See, these claims are seldom worth more than if, if they have liability, which they generally don't. Right. They have merit. They're seldom worth more than $25,000. Right. You know? And uh, I think the I think the insurance industry should really start taking a more aggressive stance towards uh, uh, defending these claims because mm-hmm. they, they generally generate they would go away I think if they did yeah uh, because when when there's like when there's a lawsuit there's multiple defendants generally in these lawsuits mm-hmm. you know the seller of course. And the seller's agent, the buyer's agent, the home inspector, and the home inspector's uh, corporation, mm-hmm. you know, corporation. Um, and so, once the plaintiff's attorney has done the calorie burn to do a, a, a complaint against the seller, mm-hmm. it's a small additional to just add in these other defendants. Mm-hmm. So I think if they uh, started taking an aggressive stance against these um, frivolous, frivolous things, uh, a lot of them would go away. Yeah. And for, for new inspectors that are listening, can you kind of tee up for us E&O insurance? Um, does, do all inspectors need it? Do you recommend or? Well, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I was, uh, there's nothing more expensive than litigation, right? Defense litigation. And I'll give you an example of uh, of how uh, how expensive it can be. I was walking in, in downtown Philadelphia several years ago, and a friend of mine, actually a former partner of mine, uh, saw me and happened to be the day before uh, Memorial Day. I remember for that reason, and he said uh, he had changed firms. He had left the firm that. He and I had, he and I and another guy founded this firm, and I left first. Mm-hmm. And then he left. Uh, so the two family partners left this left this firm. 
And he went to a firm that I started out with. And I asked him, I said, Oliver, tell me what your uh, hourly rate is. Expecting them to say something crazy like $400. Right. He says, 500. I said, really? He says, yeah. So I immediately went home and raised my rates. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. right. but that, so then, you know, it was, it was a Memorial, Memorial Day weekend. So uh, the next day, I go to the farmer's market. But no, I go to Starbucks and I run into a very high powered attorney that I know, a woman. Uh, who's a really super, super uh, attorney. And I said to her, I said, Carolyn, I told him the story about Oliver's and his rate 500. And Carolyn says, Joe, do you know what mine is? I said, no. She says, 720. An hour. An hour. I said, Carolyn, who pays that? She says, yeah, tell me. You know, I got to go out with this albatross and raise, you know, and get business. Right. You know, with this hanging around my neck. So I'm like, wow, this is, this industry is really going crazy. So then that afternoon, I'm in a farmer's market. I run into another attorney, a friend of mine, who's uh, with a high power firm. And I tell him these two stories. And he says to me, Joe, if the claim is not worth a million dollars, it's not worth defending. It's not worth it. It's too expensive. Right. And then... Uh, so that's why these insurance companies are so prone to settle these cases. And, and uh, because they don't, they're going to get killed on the, on the litigation costs. Ah, so I see. That's why it's very important to get rid of the case before it ever reaches that stage. Right. Before it ever gets to be a lawsuit. You, know, you, want the case, you want the claim to go away before it ever gets anywhere near a courtroom. Right. You know? And what you are want, some? You want to just. Make it go away. Right. And I think that's what, hopefully, if everyone didn't know that already, so you don't want to go to litigation. That's no. what you always hear from lawyers. You don't want it to go there. What are some tips for guys in those situations? Like you said, go back out to go the house. Go back out to the house. One of, one of the things you know, that's real interesting is, uh, like, a, uh, most, of, most of my, I don't have very many uh, newbies in, in my practice. Okay. I have most of, most of my, uh, clients are seasoned inspectors, mm -hmm. and uh, so you know they'll they'll get a call from somebody and uh, go out, and it's a uh, let's say it's a leak or roof leak, mm -hmm. and they go out and they climb up into the attic and they look at the roof leak and they're like, oh my gosh, maybe it's not, maybe it's time to get out of business because how in the world did I possibly miss this? And uh, so. They, you know, they had to sober up a little bit and they go and get their uh, agreement or get, go and get their, go and get their uh, report. Right. And then they look at the report and turn the roofing section and there it is. Plan yeah. day. Yeah. You've got to, you know, uh, there's a sign of a previous, you know, moisture stain here. Right. Uh, check with the seller. Make sure he's had that taken care of. Uh, uh, Etc. And then you know we'll circle around it and narrow going towards it, and recommend that you have you know all right. these recommendations, and and then they don't do it. And I I, I actually think that uh, I actually think that very few uh, inspection reports are ever read. Oh yeah, 
as a former agent, I yeah. completely agree, and that's what I saw. In my you experience. know, uh, Michael Michael Kingsley, who's a uh, he's a guy in Washington D.C. who's a political a political pundit. He went out. There was a book written by uh, The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, mm -hmm. and it was like five hundred pages, five hundred page book, and it was number one bestseller. And he thought this is bogus. Who would who people are not buying 500 page book and and making it number one in, in numbers that would make it number one right so he went out he went out to like barnes and noble and borders of happy memory uh, and stuck coupons and like on page 370 that said ten dollars if you send this back to yeah. this to this address he'd get any of it back None of them came what back. What a great experiment. None of them came back. So I've often thought that home inspectors might want to do that. Rebate coupon on oh, page 60 uh, of the report. To, to free Chipotle, something. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, within 30 days or something yeah. like that. And uh, I'm guaranteed I, it would be very low numbers that came back. Yeah, for the inspectors out there, the few of you that still believe people are going to read your whole report, they're not. I just hate, I, I break it to an inspector every week when I say, that's cute that you think they're gonna get to page 70. And it's a shame, because it's a waste of money. And I think they just, uh, I think what happens is, here's what happens, here's who reads the report. The agent reads the report, looks at the things that their client will agree to deal with right and that's <laughs> nothing it. Else. and that's it yeah what can we ask for what right. can we get paid for right and the, if the exception is if you have a lawyer engineer client they may read the whole report but right most will not and so i think that's what's important about the summaries right the features within your report um that's why we built some of the things we did because we knew when we built spectora people don't read anymore no. make it easy for them um a question I have for you. Do, what do you make of inspectors that take pictures of things that are right with a house or things that are in good condition? Is that a good practice or is it more? It's a good practice, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Uh, although uh, I do think it's a good idea to take pictures of water running and, you know, when you turn the water on, take a picture of that. Yep. Uh, jacuzzis, jets working, uh, things of that nature. Yep. Uh, things that are working uh, that that generate uh, that generate claims when they stop working, right? You know, and uh, uh, nothing nips a, bit, uh, a claim in the bud faster than having a uh, having a picture of something that's working. Here, yeah, yeah. or a video. Oh, uh, hey, uh, here's a video right. of a running faucet. Right. Um, okay, because yeah, we, we're we're kind of split on some inspectors taking an extra hundred or two hundred pictures of hey, this door is functional. Hey, this faucet's functional. Well, that's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, adds time obviously to every yeah situation. I just don't think it's uh, entirely necessary because uh, as I said earlier the, the claim is going to be something that was hidden concealed right uh, outside the SOP this claim uh, that's what the claims going to be that's on that is 100% of all claims yeah and uh, and those claims are defensible yeah you know? they go away Speaking of the SOP, that's always a, a topic um, that we talk about with new inspectors. They always have questions. Is the way the SOP is delivered or linked to or shown in emails, does that matter at all? Or is it typically like, 
hey, it's in the report. Hey, what I recommend, what I recommend is that in the in the in the inspection agreement, mm -hmm. the very first paragraph, it says something to the to effect of uh, this <clears throat> this inspection is going to be conducted under um, the standards of practice of whoever the you know the state yeah. or or ASHI or state of Tennessee mm -hmm. or the state of Florida or, or whatever and uh, and a copy can be found at here website and so on I think if they don't they don't go to uh, they're not reading the reports they're not going to these websites and reading the SOPs Know. Right, but they're given the opportunity they're to, which, the opportunity which covers you. Perfect. And um, this is an, an easy one for you, but some inspectors are still spooked by digital signatures. They hold, yeah, they they hold, they, they hold up though. They it's, do hold up. It's, yeah. it's uh, sufficient um, nowadays. The one problem, the one problem that inspectors are running into, and it's always a, it's always bad news for them. Is that these insurance policies, these ENO insurance policies, you literally have to have the agreement signed before you start the inspection. Yes. So if your inspection report says you started at 9:40 a.m. Mm -hmm. and the digital signature says 10:40 or 5 p.m. that day, bad news. They are going to uh, disclaim coverage, yeah. and that, because that is the first inquiry that happens at an insurance uh, company when a claim comes in: mm -hmm. is this claim covered? Is this something that's covered by this policy? Mm -hmm. And if if you haven't complied with the requirements of the policy, and you know, no one reads these policies, uh, and and so it's incumbent upon me to you know get this. Get this out there, but you have to you have to have it before. And I've had a number of clients, a number of new clients actually, who have had this bad news, and then they went out and talked to some colleagues, and they said, "Well, you've got to go. You should call Joe Ferry." Man, so get it signed. Doesn't matter who it is, friend, an right. agent that swears by the person, it make them sign it. Right? What yeah. about even ten minutes before? Even if they're in the ten driveway, minutes, ten minutes before. Yeah. One, okay. One second. Before, <laughs> it's just you know, before you right. start. Um, what about payment? Is that ever a consideration if they pay and sign the agreement or is payment kind of separate in terms of they'll pay after the inspection or they'll... Yeah, I, I recommend that people get paid at the inspection or even before, you know, or PayPal or something like that. Uh, because, you know, when they're waiting around for it at settlement, sometimes these things don't settle. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Some states that do it at escrow, that always makes me nervous where the inspectors get paid like 30 days later. That just. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I, I can't believe that's a thing. That California thing is right. Uh, I can't remember which one, but yeah. I feel for the inspectors that have to, I mean, who waits 30 days to get paid with any job you do? It's insane. <laughs> right. Um, okay, that's good. I wanted to get that out of the way because it's something we're always preaching of saying when you wake up in the morning, you should be paid and the inspection agreement should be signed. So then you are in the clear right. in terms of. In terms of that, um, report writing. Let's jump into that. We're, we're kind of jumping all over, so that's that's. I had an extra cup of coffee today, so that's yeah, probably why I'm jumping wired. all over. <laughs> Long, <clears throat> longer comments and narratives versus shorter that just call out an issue versus the guys that are trying to describe it in depth. 
What's your take? I like that? it to be uh, a narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, it's certainly more. It's certainly more um, cogent mm -hmm. uh, in a claim situation if you, you know, spelled out chapter and verse about the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of reports have uh, you know general uh, general principles at the beginning like hey if we say that this is defective that means you should get it right. Uh, that's and that's okay. Like a legend at the beginning. Yeah, legend, says, hey, the this legend. means this. Right. Yep. If it's if it's uh, if it's defective, then we recommend uh, it be further investigated by an appropriate right. professional. That's fine. Uh, but I, but I think uh, I think the more that you say in, in the narrative is uh, the better the better off you are in the claim situation. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because there's different schools of thought. Some people think if you're over defining it, then it can be picked apart better. But I think in good faith, if you're acting in good faith, my instincts tell me you can't go wrong if you're trying to help. Right. Well, one of the things I like to do is I like to point that out in the response in the responses. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, here's what we we found, you know, under, you know, roofing. Yeah. You know, do this. Yeah. I recommend that. Right. Um, okay. So larger companies, you mentioned working with seasoned inspectors. Um, we work with a lot of big multi uh, inspector companies right. where they're running through thousands. I mean, they're doing thousands and they thousands are. a year. Yep. Obviously instances of people coming back probably go up. Is there anything multi-inspector companies should be thinking about or looking out for as their scale grows? And they have more potential. Well, the multi-inspector uh, firms that are clients of mine, uh, <laughs> I uh, they only call me when it's a real knucklehead on the other side that they can't resolve because they're, they, they're probably they more experienced resolve. at resolving. Right. Yeah. Because they're very they're very good at resolving. It. Right. Um, because quite often, quite often, what their client needs is somebody to tell them. That this is not the problem that this contractor is telling them that it is. Right. You know, uh, I just had a recent one where the house is falling down. This contractor told us well, that our house was going to fall down because of some uh, some issue with a uh, support beam. Uh, the house wasn't going to fall down. You know, it's never going to won't fall down for a hundred years. Right. You know, not because of this issue. It might fall down, but not because of this issue. Mm -hmm. So the inspector was able to go out and, con and convince her that this guy was just trying to upsell her for a, a, a repair that she didn't need. Right, right. So it's the people skills, right? I think that's a, that's probably a hard thing to coach. Um, I mean, it can be coached. I think um, a lot. You know, we work with some multi-inspector um, owners that you can tell are very personable. They can shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, and kind right. of talk them off the ledge. Um, not everyone has that. I have a lot, a lot of I have a lot of clients that do call me and mm -hmm. ask me ask me what they should do. How to, I, how to, how to say I, it? I, I, I tell them. Okay, great. Coach them. I help them. I help them. And one thing I always I'm talking. I find I'm constantly talking to them out of is giving them money away when there's no absolute reason to do so. Right. You know, if you're going out, I, I would tell do not offer this person any money. Mm -hmm. Don't offer them to give money back because you did okay. nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. Just go out there, be the pro, be the pro that you are. Right. And talk them off the ledge and, and tell them, 
you know, it's usually the case of, come on, there's no way I could have seen this. Right. You know? Right. And like you said, if it's good faith, if the person's in good faith on the other side, they're going to say, yeah, you probably couldn't see that. Right. You know, and that should be a last case resort, right? Of like, okay, we're clearly not seeing eye to eye here. You clearly think right. I should have seen this when I couldn't have. Then you go to that then, step. Then you have to, yeah. Then it's time to put them away with right. Uh, prejudice. Right. But I do think a lot of inspectors, I hear um, our customers, they jump right to the pay to make it go away. They do. And I tell you, that's scary. A, that's an entry level drug right. for these people. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I, one thing I, I caution them not to do that. And I tell them this in the seminar is every time, every time you get money back mm -hmm. when you shouldn't, a puppy dies. It's <laughs> a good way to think of it. Yeah. Yep. It's got to be some round. Yeah. It's got to be some uh, universal retribution for that. Well, hopefully everyone that triggers something in their head yeah. and they're saying, oh, just cut them a check. Um, because there's the risk there that they can come back and ask again. Or is That's it a tremendous risk? What happened? Well, here's what happened. Here's what the scenario is. You give the money back and they start thinking, whoa. Because you, you want them to sign a release at that point. Kind of admission of guilt in a way. Or yeah. Well, well, they start thinking, well, maybe this guy, you know, maybe he did what some else other did he stuff. Yeah, what else did he miss? Right. And, uh, and this is especially so when you give them a release. And you should never give any money back. Uh, if, if you don't get a release, because that's just asking for trouble. And what's a release, just to define for the people that uh, A release know. is where you're, that person is saying they're never coming back against you again for any reason whatsoever. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so I think that's something, and I know multis, they hire guys that they maybe don't fully train or like they get guys in the field quickly because a lot of companies are growing fast nowadays, you know, mm. the, with the bull market we've been in. Um, and so there's probably inspectors under them that may, that may miss things. And so how do you, how is that typically handled when it's a sub inspector that may or may not it, as a lead inspector, is it just checking the report, talking to that inspector, and then you go out and speak to the client or does the, actual inspector that did the job need to go out? Generally, they both go out. Yeah. That's what generally happens in, in that situation. And <clears throat> I would say this from my, based on my experience, most of the multi-inspector uh, firms that I have as clients, they train those guys. They're yeah. trained. They're, oh, not, yeah. they're not sending, because they have too much to lose doing that. Right, right. Uh, you know, if you, have, if you have a reputation going back you know, decades in some cases, uh, you're not going to uh, send somebody un untrained out there. Right, right. Uh, they're going to be supervised probably for the first 40 in inspections, I would say. A lot of ride-alongs. Um, let's shift gears and talk about handling customer complaints because do, do, do online or verbal complaints, does that ever precede someone making a claim? Like they write a bad review online? Yes, it does. Inspector kind of fans the plane. Sometimes so. does perceive that. And uh, in that case, you really, if, if, if you have a uh, client that is online defaming you, saying things that are untrue, uh, you absolutely have to uh, disabuse that guy of the notion that he's going to get away with it. All right. Where we left off, we were talking about reviews and responding to online reviews um, that could lead to a claim. And so obviously the best practice is responding professionally. 
online? What do you recommend well, there? Well, I don't recommend responding online because that's what there's a <laughs> there's a thing called the uh, Streisand effect. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Streisand effect? I am effect? not. Probably the worst thing you can do <clears throat> is respond online because that is the websites that traffic and this sort of thing. That is their stock and trade. That's what they're selling mm -hmm. um, to to the public. You know, you're not their customer. The public is their is their customer. Mm -hmm. So if you go on Yelp and you have, you know, a hundred uh, five star ratings on Yelp, mm -hmm. and then this knucklehead goes on and makes a cock cockamamie complaints about you. And that that suddenly becomes a number one that goes to the top. Right. It's not chronological. It, it's it's according to uh, what causes the most traffic. Right. And then if you respond to it, it makes it makes it more prominent. So that's known as the Streisand effect. And the Streisand effect is this: Barbara Streisand owns a uh, estate that's right on the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. And several years ago, the government paid a photographer to fly up the coast of California and photograph <clears throat> the shoreline mm -hmm. because they needed a, uh, a baseline to, to, to determine erosion and so on. Barbara Streisand objected to this guy doing that and asked him to take it down off of his website. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't do it because he was obligated to leave it up there because of the, his contract with the government. Right. He probably wouldn't have done it anyway. So then, because he wouldn't take it down, Barbara Streisand sued him. And, you know, outfits like TMZ, they go out and they get a hold of these. Right. Uh, they go into all these courthouses in the country to see new suits that are filed. And if they see a famous person, that's gold for them. Right. So they see that Barbara Streisand sued this guy. And all of a sudden it ends up, you know, it ends up on TMZ, right? Now, before she sued the guy, her, the photo of her estate had been downloaded something like 25 times. After she sued him, in like the three months after she sued him, it was, it was, it come down like 80, 90,000 times. Right. It was, it was, uh, it was looked at. So it called attention to it. Right. So that's known as the Streisand effect. So you don't want to respond online uh, because that'll call more attention to your, because then the guy will, he might double down. Right. He might come back and go, oh, you're back. Right, uh, you don't want to get a dialogue on Yelp with somebody. Uh, so the remedy there is uh, you need to advise him that if he doesn't take it down, and this is assuming it's untrue, which it generally right. is. Right. If he doesn't take it down, you're going to file a defamation suit against him. And the beautiful thing about uh, defamation per se, which is defamation per se is if there's someone tries to de defame you about, you know, uh, you committed a crime or, you know, you have uh, you know sexual deviation or something like that. Something that generally people don't want uh, that would impugn their character. Right. Okay. That's defamation per se. And so if you're a home inspector and the guy's up there saying, don't hire this home inspector because he doesn't know what he's doing. He is a moron. Right. Uh, that's defamation per se. 
And the beautiful part about defamation per se, per se is you don't have to show damages. So you don't have to say, hey, I, I lost $2,000 a month because of this. Right. Def uh, damages are presumed. And juries throughout the length and breadth of this country have absolutely no hesitancy about returning massive verdicts against defendants in these kinds of cases. And Interesting. there have been some massive, massive verdicts, millions of dollar verdicts. Wow. Cases like this. So generally what, you, what I do is I send them a letter and, and I tell them, look, uh, you know, uh, we, we weren't negligent because we ABCD or E or And uh, let me also uh, tell you that what you did on Yelp is a completely, you might be, you might be disappointed mm -hmm. with the inspection. Uh, right. But going on Yelp or on Angie's List or one of these places uh, and defaming the home inspector is a completely inappropriate response to that. Absolutely. And, and if it's not retracted, if it's not taken down, uh, it may also prove to be a uh, financially ruinous one. Right. And uh, so if, if I were you, I would take it down. Now, Mr. So-and-so is gonna refrain from filing a complaint for three weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, you should use, you should take advantage of his uh, forbearance to remove your defamatory. Your, your defamatory posting, and uh, then we'll do it. I like it. I like it. Because, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest questions we get when we tell inspectors to ask for good reviews in your follow-ups right. because you do a great job yeah. all the time. They worry about that one bombshell dropping, and so that's a great way to handle it. Yeah, and the bombshell is devastating because it negates a lot. all the good ones. I know. People are only looking at that. I really feel for them. Um, I think we've all dealt with it. Anyone that owns a business anywhere has probably yeah, had to yeah, deal with it. I mean, it's part of it, part of the game. But I think handling it in that way um, could have the best outcome of completely removing it. As yeah, opposed to, yeah, well, that's what you want. Yeah, and yeah. I haven't done a lot of it, but I'm batting a thousand at getting them taken down. Awesome, grace that. Um, a couple more questions. I want to be respectful of your time, and um, then we'll wrap up here. But what would you say to inspectors that how they can better balance the awareness of um, the risk and liability involved in this business with not letting it run their business, not letting it dictate how they do things. And when they, you know, some of them seem like they are driven by fear um, of liability and that's not a good place to operate from when you're trying to. Right. Well, it, you know, it's, it's legitimate to be uh, recognized that you have an exposure right. to these ridiculous claims. And the, the best way to uh, defend against that is to have E&O insurance. I mean, that's how you sleep at night right now. Um, I have, uh, there's people who, uh, a pretty prevalent meme in this industry is that having insurance puts a target on your back. And that is ridiculous because in 32 years of practicing law, 33 years going on, uh, I've never once considered whether or not a defendant was insured uh, before filing suit because then um, the notion that having insurance puts a target on your back 
That's one thing. But not having insurance does not remove the target. <laughs> and the reason, the reason is there are many, many uh, torts for which you can't get insurance. Mm -hmm. You can't get insurance for uh, assault. Mm -hmm. You can't get insurance for battery. You can't get insurance for defamation. Um, and there are no shortage of defamation lawsuits. So the fact that a, per, uh, that a party might not have insurance, it's absolutely no deterrent to anybody as far as, you know, file a suit against that. Right. Uh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. That's, that's a good distinction to make because right. um, it's, it's not easy money. It doesn't mean it's just a foregone conclusion right. that's going to pay out. i tell you what I would do if I was an inspector. I would do what the multi-inspectors do. They have a whole thing. They have a whole system of risk management. In the first instance, they take care of it themselves. If they did right. something wrong, they fix it. Right. If they didn't do something wrong, they tell the person, we didn't do anything wrong, here's why, A, B, C, D, and E. <clears throat> the person's irrational, then, uh, then, they get, then they have to go to step two and use me. Right. Uh, and then if, if I'm unable to get rid of the guy, then you gotta have E and O insurance. Right. You know, so you need to have a, uh, a risk management system and quite frankly, you know, insurance is not that expensive. It's very expensive if you're a part-time inspector and only doing, you know, five inspections a month. But if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you've got your practice going and you're doing, you know, 50, 60, you know, 30, 40 inspections a month, mm -hmm. it amounts to about $2 an, an inspection. I mean, it's crazy not to carry it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there any hard stats in our industry in terms of the number of claims per year that actually happen, or is it just is it just too fragmented to really know? Because the only stat that I know of um, is when I was first putting my seminar together, mm -hmm. I spoke to a you um, know insurance underwriter, mm -hmm. and he told me this that sixty percent of all claims come in within a year of the uh, inspection. Okay, interesting, 60%. Mm -hmm. 90% come in within the first two years. And then the other 10% come in. Right. Ever struggling, struggling after, after that. So there are things you can do contractually to, to uh, limit your liability. For instance, you can have a, um, a waiver of the statute of limitations. In most jurisdictions, the statute of limitations is two years. Mm -hmm. So if you have in your contract that you got signed, yep. uh, a, uh, a provision that requires any claim to be brought within one year of the date of the, acts of the, of the inspection, then you've eliminated 40% of all right. uh, potential claims. So that's, that's quite a pretty good return yeah. on a very small investment. It's a no-brainer. It's right? a no-brainer. Yeah. That and in jurisdictions where the limitation of liability is, are enforced, that's, that's a great deterrent. You know, if you have, uh, if you have a limitation of liability to uh, you know, the amount of the inspection or one and a half times the inspection or twice the inspection fee, you're never going to get an attorney in a jurisdiction where that's enforceable to have any interest in that case. Right. You know, it's not going to be interesting. Um, so 
The important thing to remember about limitation liability clauses, however, is that they're not get-out-of-jail-free cards. Right. They're very helpful before a case goes into suit. Mm -hmm. But once a case goes into suit, we have multiple uh, multiple parties, multiple defendants. That's going to be effective against your your client, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be effective against your co-defendants who may have uh, contribution claims against you uh, in, in the event that that case actually goes to verdict. So they're not to get out of jail free cards, and also jurisdictions that are currently enforcing them can suddenly decide we're no longer enforcing these. Naturally. And yeah. that actually happened in West Virginia about three, four years ago. So you had, and the problem in West Virginia when they did that, when they decided that they were no longer going to enforce uh, limitation liability clauses in uh, home inspection contracts was they didn't make the ruling prospectively. They made it retrospectively and prospectively. So a lot of guys, a lot of probably tens of thousands of inspections that had no insurance against them and were relying on the uh, limitation liability clause to mm -hmm. limit their liability, all of a sudden they Oof. have unlimited liability on that uh, on those claims. So that's why it's very important to have EML insurance. Right. I mean, I'm a big believer in EML insurance. Awesome. Um, Good to know. And yeah, and there's go to any conference, uh, look online. There's there's a couple I think major players um, in the ENO space. Yeah, and, you know, you know we ask around, ask people. Yeah, you know. see who they've worked with. Um, where can people find you as we wrap up here if they have questions? What's the best they way to reach you? They can find me at contact at joeferry dot com. They okay. can find me at joeferry dot com. Um, they can. Google home inspector lawyer on the whole front page. Yep, yep, yep. You dominated. I did my I did my homework and saw that. Um, I will link to everything in in the description. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you think is important to kind of uh, get out of there? Maybe we'll have to come back. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do another episode. Um, but yeah, if there's anything um, that I should have asked you in terms of like what inspectors out there need to be thinking about or know, or did we sure. pretty much cover it? Yeah. I know. We we got through some good stuff. Yeah. I think. We have a four-hour seminar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When do you have um, a schedule or a place where people well, can see I'm next seminar? Speaking seminars at uh, speaking at uh, Nathan uh, Farberry's mm -hmm. uh, Vegas Vegas okay thing. That's September. I'm speaking in I'm speaking at uh, New England Ashley in September. That's going. I think that's going to be in Portsmouth. They haven't put it up put it up yet. But okay, to be in Portsmouth. And uh, if anybody out there is on their education committee and they're having a local conference and they want me to come speak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Contact at joeferry.com. Perfect. I know there's lots of local chapters, um, yeah, local I, schools. Right. I think the home inspection schools need yeah, to I be. I spoke at the Champion School in uh, Austin back in March and I spoke at the Kentucky Korea, K-R-E-I-A, and uh, also in March. And uh, in Vegas and uh, or Portsmouth, New England, Ashley in September, and and then in Vegas in uh, end of September with uh, Nathan's uh, conference. How many flights do you take a year? <laughs> take up quite a few. A lot. Gold. <laughs> well, great. Um, well, thanks so much for stopping in yeah, the office. Uh, it's great. We'll to do have it you again. Here. Oh, absolutely. We can either do it up at a conference, get together.
paths will cross for sure. Paths will cross. All right. Well, thanks so much, Joe. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.